0: This is Amateur Logic, Episode 86 for January fifteenth, 2016. We're back. This episode of Amateur Logic was brought to you by MFJ, the world leaders in ham radio accessories at MFJEnterprises.com and by ICOM. Get into HF this winter season. Welcome to Ametrologic episode 86. I'm George.
1: I'm Tommy. And I'm Peter.
0: And we've also got the cheap old man with us this time around. Howdy howdy. There's email. Hi Emil. Well glad you could all join (laughs) us tonight. It's the first show of 2016.
1: Yeah happy new year. Yeah. Happy new year from down under.
0: And it's great to be back. We've got a a full show tonight. It's a little different, maybe, than, than some of the ones that yeah. we've done in the past. There's uh, yeah,
2: Different is good
1: sometimes. Yeah,
0: it is. Uh, Peter, how are things going down in Australia so far this year?
1: Well, summer down here, so we've been having some really, really hot uh, days, over 100 degrees on occasions. And the worst is when you get a series of them, one after the other. But, um, yeah, look, uh, I've been spending a bit of time looking at uh, podcasts and podcasts uh, if you don't mind I wouldn't mind recommending one called Great Scott which you can find on YouTube uh it's a German amateur by I think it's a German uh hobbyist who's putting together some really really good videos on electronics so to get a chance go check that out.
0: Email how's everything going down in Nolens so far?
3: Uh New is uh still pretty warm but we're about to uh, get a little bit colder I think you guys too not that far up from me um and uh santa santa was good to the shack this year must have been a good boy like uh we thought so i'll be uh focusing in on some digital stuff down here in new orleans so maybe we'll have to hook up on uh d star and some other modes there over
0: Hmm.
2: that sounds good to me man just let me know actually i
0: didn't know that we thought he had been a good boy i guess
2: (laughs)
1: well some santa did i guess that's all that counts Uh, do you have a D-Star repeater in uh, Jackson? Oh, you must have. Oh, uh, I know you've got your little, um, uh, whatever device it is for connecting into the internet, Tommy. But uh, do you actually have a local repeater that's D-Star enabled?
2: Yeah, we've got uh, two two repeaters here that are on D-Star.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh-huh. But, uh huh.
2: But honestly, most of the time I just use my DV Mega.
0: Yeah. Uh, my DV Mega's still in parts. Still it's in, in the a, box? Yeah, still in the box. <laughs> but uh, I'm going to be doing that soon. We'll be looking. And I've got some other goodies that go with it, too. So oh, cool. Ought to be a fun project coming up there. Well, let's get on into the emails here and get this thing rolling. Peter, I think uh, you are first up tonight. What have you got for us?
1: Yes. Well, um, I don't actually have the name of the person who posted it, and I apologise for that. Um, you you might have it there, uh, George. But yeah, it's um, uh,
0: Michael Crean, K R E I N.
1: Okay, thanks, Michael. Uh, uh, Craig, uh, Michael uh, posted to our Facebook page and asked whether somebody could actually do a uh, a segment about uh, TVRO or um, TV receive only or uh, receiving satellite television. Free, well, free. You go.
0: He said free-to-air system. That's what he... uh,
1: Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. free-to-air. So this is about how to receive free-to-air satellite television.
0: Cool. And it just so happened that's what you were going to be doing anyway, or he kind of pushed you in that direction?
1: It's one of a number of projects I had uh, planned, and I thought, well, this is an opportune time, so why not? This month we're going to talk about satellite television, I've been receiving satellite TV here in Melbourne for about 15 years, initially French television and later Dutch TV. It's quite easy to receive satellite TV at home and many of the channels are free. First, let's look at this map of the world. It of course is divided into latitudes, north and south, and longitude, east and west. You can see the map is divided from negative 180 degrees longitude through to zero through to 180 degrees longitude. So it's negative 180 to zero to 180. We're really only interested in the longitude because we want to know how far our satellite is across the equator. Now high up above the equator, if you can imagine, is an arc of satellites. Uh, that stretch all the way around the world. The uh, satellites are of uh, the perfect height and perfect speed such that they rotate with the world as it turns, and the, uh, their orbit is such that each satellite appears to stay in the one place high above a particular location above the equator. So, for example, we might have a, uh, a satellite above zero degrees here over the west of Africa. Now, because it's so high, it can actually see out all over Africa. And uh, it's got a nice wide beam. It can broadcast TV to that whole region. Now, because the world is round, obviously, a satellite TV, one satellite can't broadcast to the whole world. But theoretically, three or four satellites Altogether spaced around the world would be able to broadcast around the world. So we have a series of satellites one here, one here, one here, one here, one here, etc. 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 And you can go to a website called www.linesat.org if you actually want to go and see what each satellite is, where it is, and what channels are on each satellite and whether they're free to wear or whether they're encrypted. As I said before if you can conceive of this row of satellites as being like a big ring around the world, high above the equator, well, if you're on the equator and look up, basically you'll see this arc of satellites, or theoretically, uh, running from east, high above you, right above you, and then over to the west, or rather west-east, to whichever you prefer. Now, if you're a bit further south of the equator, that arc will rise in the west and won't come above you but be slightly to your north and then it will finish down in the east. Similarly, if you're in the northern hemisphere and you were able to see all those satellites in a row, it would look like an arc arising in the west going high but slightly to your south and then setting in the east. Satellite television is typically broadcast on two bands. The first band is the C band, which is around 5 gigahertz and requires larger dishes. And the other band is KU band, which is around about 10 gigahertz and requires smaller dishes for the same amount of gain. There are four main elements to a TV, RO or TV satellite rece- receiving uh, setup. The first element is you need a dish. The second element is you need what's called a low noise block amplifier or an LNBF, which is just a waveguide. And then you need some cable and a satellite receiver box. What happens is typically that the signal is received by the LNBF in the dish, in the focal point of the dish, and it then amplifies that signal from a very, very weak signal Up to a much louder signal and also moves it down into about the range of about 1.5 gigahertz. The signal travels down the cable and then goes to the satellite receiver box which then uh, receives on about 1.5 gigahertz and decodes the TV signal so you can display it on your television set. Satellite TV is digital television and so all the transmissions you'll receive will be compressed using either one of two formats, either MPEG-2 or MPEG-4, and your satellite TV decoder box will need to be able to handle one or both of those standards. The collection of channels I receive, including BVN TV, is encoded with the MPEG-2 standard, which is the older standard. However, progressively, Various bouquets or collections of channels are now being upgraded to MPEG-4. So at some point, I'm going to need to buy a new box which can receive both MPEG-4 and MPEG-2. It's very important that you select the correct LNBF for your particular circumstances. So you need to, first of all, choose whether you want a C-band or a KU-band LNBF, and also you need to make sure you've got the, the one with the correct local oscillator frequency for the particular signal that you're trying to receive. What do I mean by that? Well, let's go back to the satellite TV box to explain this further. A satellite TV box can typically receive from 950 through to 2150 megahertz. So whatever gets sent down the cable from the LNBF has to be within that range. Now, what an LNBF does is it takes the signal that's being received from the satellite, say a signal on 12.3 gigahertz as an example, and let's say that the LNBF has got a local oscillator frequency of 11.3 gigahertz. Well, it mixes those two signals together and it produces a product, which is the difference between those two figures. 12.3 minus 11.3 gives you 1 gigahertz, or 1,000 megahertz. That's within the range of the satellite receiver. It's between 950 and 2150 megahertz. Therefore, the satellite receiver will be able to receive that particular signal. But sometimes if you select the wrong local oscillator frequency, you'll find that the product of the LNBF, in other words, what's being spat down the cable, Maybe outside the range of 950 to 2150 MHz. Another thing to also consider is the uh, polarization of the signal. The signal being sent down from the satellite can be either horizontally or vertically polarized. And if, you'll, if you look at an LNBF that can receive both polarizations and look down the throat of the LNBF, you'll actually see two antennas at right angles to each other. And uh, they're receiving either the horizontally, or the horizontal and the vertical uh, polarized signal. So you need to also work out whether you just want to receive one signal, horizontal, or just just that, or you need you want to receive a whole lot of signals, some of which are vertically polarized, and some of which are horizontally horizontally polarized. The use of horizontal and vertical polarizations mean that for a given range of frequencies, more channels can be sent by the satellite. I'm sure one question that you all have is, what can I receive? What free-to-air content is available via satellite? Well, you're probably not going to get your general entertainment channels up there as a rule, and you're not going to get your major sporting channels like baseball etc that you would normally get via pay tv however the channels that are available are a bit like what shortwave radio used to be like 30 to 40 years ago there's some news channels like rt and bbc world service and al jazeera there's foreign language channels a whole range of those there's some some general entertainment channels like tv sank which is sometimes subtitled in english and so, so you can watch some French movies there, and I highly recommend that particular channel. There's also religious programming. There's a whole range of, of different topics and things up there, and there's also uh, NASA television if you're in the North American area of the world. Now, here's an old 1.8-metre C-band dish that I've had lying around the uh, uh, the backyard for a while. It's not in very good condition, um, so uh, it's probably uh, not salvageable, but uh, it illustrates just how big a C-band dish can actually be. You'll see the LNB in the centre. That's a C-band LNB that will pick up uh, frequencies on 5 gigahertz. If you want to know what the inside of an LNB actually looks like, well, here's your chance. If you uh, look down the end there, you'll see the receiving element and it's basically just a waveguide, and the signals get bounced around until they they hit that little antenna. I'm now up here on my carport roof with the birds and uh, I've got a 90 centimetre offset satellite dish and I'm going to try to receive Optus D2. That's so I can receive uh, Dutch television. With an offset fed dish, the signal comes down at a high angle and then gets reflected over to the focal point, which is off to the, off to the side over here. That's where the LNBF is mounted. You need to make sure, of course, that your LNBF is at the appropriate angle for the, uh, for the satellite that you're trying to receive. Uh, depending on, on where the, uh, the satellite is in the sky, uh, you know, it might be that way, it might be that way, it might be that way. Now, what you do is, you go buy yourself a, a cheap satellite finder, as I've done, and you connect that in line uh, with the from the cable coming from your satellite box. So here's my satellite box cable. Uh, here's uh, another cable which I've run through to my LNBF, and I've got a meter, and when, uh, when I receive a satellite, or when this is pointing at a satellite, the meter will go up, and it'll also start screaming at me. So let's turn this up a little bit and see what happens when I move the dish around. Aha! See I've hit a satellite Now what I need to do is just back off the, uh, the little knob here and then just so the meter is about say halfway and then move the dish around a bit and change its elevation as well just so I get the maximum signal on the meter. Okay, I'm now receiving a satellite, but am I receiving the right satellite? What I need to do is just fix this in place, go indoors, do a search on my satellite box and see what channels I'm receiving. Now if uh, those uh, channels are the right ones I don't have to do anything further, but uh, if I go to lineset.org and I find out well those channels belong to a satellite which is too far to the right then I need to come out and then move the, the, the dish a little bit to the left and up, perhaps up a little bit to uh, to actually try and find the particular satellite that I'm looking for. Now, I've already got uh, Dutch TV programmed into my satellite box and it turns out that I've tuned the satellite dish to the correct satellite, which is Optus D2. So here we are, 100% perfect reception of uh, bvn.tv now I did mention that the dish was a little on the small side for reception of this particular channel or rather this particular satellite and whilst the the reception is perfect at the moment if there's a bit of cloud around or a bit of moisture in the air, the signal can pixelate a little bit from time to time that's where it's better to have a, a slightly bigger dish which gives you a little bit more headroom that was pretty interesting Peter, yeah Oh, yeah, it's um, it's an interesting little hobby all of its own. Uh, over, over here in Asia or Southeast Asia, we can pick up about 200 free-to-air channels. We've actually got quite a few. Most of them are ethnic, but a few of them are English or subtitled in English. And uh, I, I actually, it makes me recall... You recall the big tsunami from a number of years ago that struck oh. the west coast of Indonesia and oh, around yeah. there? Oh, yeah. Well, I was actually watching that uh, live on, I think it was um, Channel News Asia, which is based in Singapore, and that was free-to-air. And I was getting, like, the most amazing coverage that you probably wouldn't have gotten on uh, TV over in America or in Australia. Oh, wow. So, it's, uh, so it can actually really... Uh, but particularly for live events, it, it can really uh, give you access to a lot of uh, real, real-time real news footage.
2: So, cu- I'm curious, was that in English? Yes, Okay. all in English. Interesting. Hmm. Used to a lot of people uh, tinkered around with that, but you don't hear about that much over here anymore.
0: No, and, you know, uh, when DirecTV and Dish came around, it kind of, I think, kind of really slowed down the C-band and KU-band satellite yeah. sales around here. I'm not sure there's even a dealer locally here that, that has those now.
3: you probably
2: find I people in is, the
0: backyard.
1: Uh, I think the main reason is actually the fact that most of those television streams, you can actually get over the Internet now. But it's there's still um, other bits and pieces that you can get uh, live, which is, makes it all a worthwhile exercise.
2: Yeah. I bet you if you find one in somebody's backyard... See you driving by, they probably give it to you if you take it down.
0: Oh yeah, I would imagine so. And you still see a lot of them in yards. Mm-hmm. I had a uh, what was that thing? I had a Curtis Mathis C-band satellite Curtis set Mathis. up. Yeah, and I had a video cipher to go with it because HBO and and all those pay services had started scrambling. By the time I got in, you you had to have a video cipher scrambler and pay uh, a fee to.
2: You get, you, oh, do you gosh. hook that up to your Curtis Mathis console television with the hi-fi built <laughs> into the top of no,
0: it? No, I didn't have the console to go <laughs> with it. Let's get on back into the emails here. You know, I've I've got one here that uh, comes from Frank, and he says, Great show, guys. I recently found and have been marathon-watching both Ham College and Amateur Logic. I have a couple of questions. I was licensed about 12 years ago. Um... I'm going to start retesting for the hobby, and I'm very interested and don't know where to start on a small budget. All the equipment and jargon can be intimidating for someone wanting to get into the hobby without an Elmer. I was thinking about a handheld Bofang and handheld scanner. Uh, should I get uh, an antenna for the house and truck? Uh, he says he also lives in Diamond Head, Mississippi, and he has an HOA there. that doesn't allow big antennas exposed around the house so. How can he get around that? You want external antennas, wouldn't Mm. you say, Tommy?
2: Oh, yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. If you can get away with it.
0: Yep. Not sure, um, you know, what the rules are down in Diamond Head, what you can get away with outside. A lot of people put put antennas in attics if they Mm -hmm. are not able to get them outside. And that works. It's just all kind of a trial and error thing. So Mm -hmm. um, if you do a little searching on the Internet, you'll find a lot of good ideas from people who, who are, are doing stealth antennas and such.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of people build... Uh, actually, I, when I lived in apartments, so I built a little small quarter wave and climbed up and put yeah. it on the chimney, dropped the coax down the chimney, got it into the apartment.
0: Yep. So they,
2: they Just got to be kind of creative.
0: Yeah, yeah, you do. It's um, th- There's things you can do, and I would say, you know, that's probably... It should be one of your first antennas is that little quarter-wave ground plane for mm. two meters.
2: Yeah, that's a fun little project to build, too.
0: Yeah, maybe we'll uh, we'll look at that again. I don't know if we've ever done it here or not. Yeah. We seems like we should have.
2: Yeah, I don't, I don't recall if we built one of those on here, but
0: we need to look yeah. into that. Well, we'll be back with a little bit more in just a moment. But um, first, let's get a message from who we're going to have a message from this time. Oh, it's our friends over at Ham College. At the end of each month, it's AmateurLogic's Ham College, the new show for those new to the hobby and those wanting to get into amateur radio.
2: Which of the following is a purpose of the amateur radio service as stated in the FCC rules and regulations?
0: That inductor and capacitor form a tuned circuit, that's how you tune the radio to the frequency that you want the english language
2: we lived in town i liked it I, I listened to mine a lot it was really cool because you didn't have to have a battery to yeah. power them.
0: there's our homemade telegraph station we can use it for long distance communications oh like uh, what three feet yeah, across the table the answer is b voltage was named after
2: italian physicist alessandro volta
0: we can see we're generating a little bit of electricity there it's dc it's always
2: great to go back and get a refresher
0: it well, sure is. A
2: lot of that stuff. If you've been a ham for a while, like we have, you, you don't really think about a lot of that stuff
0: that often. They didn't have electric screwdrivers in those days, so that's why we're not using one. Well we went primitive with it. Yeah. So let's see if we can hear anything when we uh, we fire off our spark gap transmitter. Well, we didn't build anything or blow up anything today, but... Um, the
2: night's still young.
0: And it's still young here, too.
2: Yeah, I still see... There's still charred marks from that spark gap transmitter <laughs> on this table.
0: Yeah, you can still smell the ozone a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tommy, what have you got for us this month?
2: Well, they said it couldn't be done. They did. They did. That, that you can't hook, use your ICOM radio with the Mac, but you can. Really? So, yeah, so let's take a look right, and yeah. you see. I
0: think that's news to all of us.
2: Well, I've mentioned it before. I'm a Mac user, for now anyway. I, I love my Mac, but their prices are getting pretty high, so I'll probably switch back to a Linux slash Windows box if something ever happens to this one. But in the meantime, you know, i got my nice IC7100 we've discussed before, and I never have really gotten any rig control software to work. I, I love Ham Radio Deluxe. Uh, When I was in Dayton this last year, I asked if there would ever be a Mac version, and they emphatically said no, so I need to find an alternative. Well, I want to get, I found FL Rig, which is the same people that make FL Digi that a lot of you guys use for PSK31. It's from W1HKJ, and you can get it from www.w1hkj.com. You also know that, or most of you know anyway, that ICOM doesn't really make a Mac driver. That works with the 7100. But I did find one. I ran across it and doing a little surfing. A few other people have found it. And anyway, Silicon Labs has a USB to UART driver right here. And you can get it from the link below. And we'll get the Mac version and download it right here. I've already downloaded it just to, in an effort to save a little bit of time for this video. So we've got that. We're going to install it. We're going to grab the W1HKJ software here from SourceForge. And over here on the, where is it? F.O.Rig, right there. And I'm going to grab the uh, I-386 DMG. That's the Mac version. And the There's a mountable file there. So I've already downloaded it as well. So let's go ahead and get to the files that I downloaded. I'll minimize this for the time being. And my downloads, we'll open them here. And I've got, let's find it, Silicon Labs. You can see I already downloaded FL Digi. We're going to get FL Digi working at a later date. it communicates with FL rig to key the rig and everything. So, we're going to get FL rig working and have our on screen rig control going, and then uh, we're going to add uh, the digital modes later. Okay, so I've got a Silicon Labs file here somewhere. When we double click the DMG, it mounts like a file system. So, let's go ahead and open it up and let's run the package and just follow the instructions continue, continue. And agree, and install, and ask for my top secret password again, and when that gets done, we will do the same thing for the f l rig software f l rig is a nice little piece of software it's not quite as full featured as the uh ham radio deluxe stuff, but it's really very nice uh I'm I've played around with it a little bit before I did the video here just so I would know that it worked. Um, but I'm going to enjoy using it. Okay, that's done. And let's go ahead and close that. Let's unmount that disk right there. And we'll do FL rig. And you can see this one goes ahead and opens up the file. So we'll just take that. Drag it to the applications folder. One thing that's really nice on the Mac is that's how you install software. You basically just drag it to the application folder. And to uninstall it, you just drag it to the trash. It's pretty much that easy. So we've got it in here. Applications. FL rig. It also shows up in our launcher. And there it is. So let's go ahead and load it. Oh, wait, it says, What's this? We've got a download file from the internet. Do we want to run it? Now, the first time that you run this, it's going to ask you to go into the security settings and approve it on a Mac. From this point on, this, the setup for using this software with a Windows box and a Mac will be the same. If you want to use it on Windows, you need to get the icon driver for the radio from the ICOM site and install it and then everything else will work the same. So let's go ahead and take a look at our piece of software here. We're gonna need to do some configuration on the radio first to make sure the radio works. So we've gotta set up a serial port. We've got the radio hooked up to the USB port on the back of the rig and to the computer. And now we need to configure the radio. So let's go over here and do set which is the top right button right here. And we need to go down to connectors. That was already there. And we need to scroll down to CIV or CI5, which is essentially the CAT command setup. So let's go in there. And we need to pick a baud rate. We've got three things in here I think we need to change. The baud rate, the CIV address, and the CIV transceive. CIV transceive needs to be off. CIV address needs to be 88H and it's gonna have to match the settings in the software. And the baud rate, it's defaulted to 9600. Some people speed it up. And I'm just gonna leave it there for right now. It doesn't matter. It might be a tad more sluggish, but we'll just see how it works. If it is, I can speed it up at a later date. So we'll leave those there. Make sure CI transceive is off again, like I said, because I think it may be on by default. And the other thing we need to change is data mod. and by default, it's mic comma ACC, but we want to change it to USB. And we'll touch set to get out of there. Now we need to configure the software. So let's go into config. First of all, I, I prefer Uh, The the larger display, so I'm going to go ahead and change that now. UI, user interface, and I'm going to do the wide UI and click OK. And to get that to take effect, we need to exit out and then run the application again. There. Now I like that a lot better. Okay, so let's configure it. File, setup, transceiver. We're going to need to go through the rig and set up, pick our IC7100. We're going to meet, need to make sure we have a baud right here. And this is the same one we set in the CI5 setting on our radio. So I have mine set to 9600. And now we need a serial port. This was a little confusing for me because I have two sets here, Bluetooth, and then I've got two Silicon Labs ones. So I picked the first one, and let's try it and it actually did connect Now the first time I tried this before I had to pick a different one but I think they may be in a different order because I reinstalled the software but at any rate do it until you see it change your radio we need to make sure we've got push to talk via cat selected and let's go over to push to talk and make sure that this port is set to none uh, I think some people's that may come in with something set there but definitely make that none and then the rest of the settings are are okay. We've got one stop bit and then echo needs to be checked as well. You can tweak with some of these. I changed the polling interval to 500 milliseconds, but you can leave it at 200 if you like. So let's go ahead and close. Now let's take a look at the software. It's it's already working. If you look at our radio, we can see we're on 14070 and so is the software here. So let's just go to uh, 3862.000 and hit enter, and it changed over here as well. Now, I did have some weirdness when I first set this up, and I'm not sure why it stopped, but every time that I would go in here and change, actually, it's showing up again. So if you can see over here, I'm on upper sideband which is wrong for this anyway, we need to be on a lower sideband. We'll change it there. And that changed the lower sideband. But this always goes back to upper sideband D, which means data mode. I, I don't know why. I haven't been able to figure that out. If you know, feel free to drop me a line. I'd like to correct it. It's not the end of the world, but it is a little bit annoying that I can't actually see the mode that I'm in. Uh, for some reason, it always goes back to that. Now that that's the mode that we're going to need to be in when we get FL Digi working. But I, I don't know if it thinks that it's communicating with that already or what. But maybe maybe a bug. I'm not sure. It's a nice piece of software. The radio's got two VFOs. We can change it over to VFO B, and you can see the radio changed. It's on upper sideband, which is correct. There's a volume control here that we can enable um we can expand that some and we've got other things that we can see there's volume and i'm assuming you can hear the volume go up and down change the power to 100 just a lot change the mic gain the squelch the filtering the preamp turn that off or whatever you want filtering 3862, okay. So I just changed back over here and it changed to upper sideband D for data. And I don't know why it keeps doing that. So we'll change that back to lower sideband. And I hear the net going on. It's pretty easy to set up. It's nice to be able to use that radio with the Mac. The magic of that comes through the Silicon Labs driver that we found. And the software is pretty nice. So if you have any ideas about the reason that mode is not working properly, let me know. I'd be curious to straighten it out. And Sometime in the very near future, again, we'll get the FL Digi part of it working and get some PSK31 going here in the shack. 73.
0: I guess you can use a Mac with your rig. You can.
2: And uh, I'm I'm pretty sure that same driver will work with pretty much any of those ICOM rigs. So it's uh, it feeds the audio and everything because you saw the S-meter mm-hmm. working. So I'm going to get uh, FL Digi working next and have a digital session there. Cool. So I haven't had it in you know, quite a while there at my shack. You
0: know, maybe that, that Mac is good for something.
2: Oh, yeah, it's good for a lot. <laughs>
1: I need to hook one is up over there way? to record on is uh is there some way you could remotely control your rig over the internet tommy
2: yeah i can I can vNC back to it um oh. yeah well and also the uh r s b a one software will control that
0: rig too that's windows though right
2: yeah that's windows <laughs>
0: yeah foiled again <laughs> well i give you an A for effort, but, you know. We'll be back in just a minute, because I know emails has got something he wants to share with us tonight. But first, let's get a... a A visit here from one of our friends. For years, hams have relied on the world's most popular antenna analyzer, the MFJ259B. That compact battery-powered RF impedance analyzer combined four basic circuits, a 1.8 through 170 megahertz variable frequency oscillator, a frequency counter, a 50-ohm RF bridge, and an 8-bit microcontroller. Now the MFJ259 has been updated to the new MFJ259C, all the same great functions present in the 259B with an expanded frequency range. The MFJ259C covers all frequencies from 530 kHz to 230 MHz, allowing measurements all the way from the AM broadcast band through the 220 MHz amateur band. Make a wide variety of useful antenna impedance measurements, including coaxial cable loss and distance to an opener short. Primarily designed for analyzing 50 ohm antenna and transmission line systems, the MFJ-259C also measures RF impedances between a few ohms and several hundred ohms. It also functions as a signal source and a frequency counter. The MFJ-259C gives you a complete picture of your antenna's performance. Read antenna SWR and complex impedance, determine velocity factor, coaxial cable loss in dB, length of coax, and distance to a shorter open in feet. Read S. SWR, return loss, and reflection coefficient at any frequency simultaneously at a single glance. You can even read inductance and microhenries and capacitance and picofarads at RF frequencies. The large, easy-to-read two-line LCD screen and side-by-side meters clearly display all the information you need. While a lot of new antenna analyzers have appeared in the market recently, none give you the flexibility and wide assortment of RF measurement capabilities the MFJ-259C does. If you've been putting off getting an antenna analyzer, then you need to take a look at the new MFJ-259C. Visit MFJenterprises.com today. Well, Emil, I understand you've got an email sitting down there.
3: I do, George. Um. My email is from uh, Kilo Charlie1 Echo Kilo Mike, uh, Mark. And uh, Mark writes I just got my RTL SDR working. So cool. And I'm just uh, using the cheap antenna it came with. Can't wait for my SMA SO239 adapters to come in so I can attach my real antennas. I'll send video when it's all hooked up. Thanks to the cheap old man's segment. Hey, that's me.
0: <laughs> yeah
3: that I, was i still i still have fun with those um the usb sticks from the last segment uh just searching around with it and i can vouch for what he's saying about the um the antenna that comes with it it works but when you put one outside or you get something you can hook to your normal outdoor antennas the signal to noise ratio goes way way up so uh he'll enjoy that
0: yeah you know it's after you showed us that last time around, I actually used mine a week or two later. I, I had a a real purpose to use it. I had didn't even have it installed. It had been so long since I had used it. But I installed the software on my laptop. I have a a, a tower site that has a lot of studio to transmitter links on it. It's got five different transmitters on it and the 950 megahertz band that send the signal out to... Uh, other transmitter sites are located different areas around town here, and I needed to identify what frequency each of those was on. I didn't need the exact frequency, but I needed to know the frequency um, approximately. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have a frequency counter that would go to 900 megahertz, and I got to thinking, well, you know, emails RTLSDR that might be just the ticket. So I pulled mine out of the box installed the drivers here on windows 10 and it worked took it over there and i was able to identify them all hmm. and uh work like a champ cool
2: i need to get one of those when i'm traveling out there to dallas my hotel overlooks the runway the airport mm-hmm. and i bet you'd be some pretty fun stuff searching around there yeah yeah that it is and new. that
3: is the fun part of it to really find and see the signal and figure out what it is and decode it whatever it takes that's the fun
0: Yeah. Peter, you showed us one of those, uh, oh, a good while back, didn't you?
1: Oh, yes, I've used them myself. Uh, I actually think one rather good use for them would be if you could build a little portable radio receiver that would go from D.C. to daylight, then take it down to your local uh, central business district and just tune your way right up through the whole band, listening for bugs, because I reckon there'd be a bit of espionage going on in, in the central business district.
0: Hmm. Never thought about that. Didn't. But, uh, yeah. I, I know I've uh, listened around in uh, 49 megahertz for to baby monitors and heard some uh-huh. interesting stuff there. I bet that was riveting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you could get over it pretty quick, too. Yeah. I'm Once sure. Some of them started whaling, you I'm know. Sure. <laughs> <You'd want. laughs> well, hey, man, What have you got for us this month?
3: Well, guys, I've been. Um dabbling in the uh, packet side of the world over here in the shack. And, uh, you know, besides some of the normal bulletin board services and uh, other services, uh, the APRS services use the uh, AX25 protocol. And uh, I decided to set me up an an iGate on the standard frequencies uh, of uh, APRS here. And I was amazed at what I found and how easy it was. And and that's just another set of fun.
0: All right. Let's check that out. It was cheap too, right?
3: It was absolutely cheap old man compliant. Awesome. Hello, George. Hello, Tommy. Welcome to another episode of Cheap Old Man Minutes. In this episode, I'm going to work on a cheap old man compliant APRS tracker system. One of the things you want to do here is to visit the APRS.fi website to see what the area of APRS activity looks like in your area. In my case there's a lot of activity south of our Lake Pontra train in the city of New Orleans, much more so than in my area 30 miles northeast of it in Slidell the city of New Orleans has much more activity than my location as far as devices and uh, even taller towers and uh, digipeters and uh, other APRS or packet related devices as you can see here there's many fewer devices reporting um, as far as APRS goes I uh, had to put some infrastructure in myself to uh, make this work in fact I set up an entire IGate system based on RF at my uh, QTH just so I could demonstrate this um, station, the tracking station because there was uh, no station that could hear very local uh, packets in my area so I set one up that'll be covered in another episode and actually was uh, something I got from one of the earlier um, Ham Nation episodes so that might come uh, in the future where I'll get into more detail of this system. There were basically three main components in this tracker system. The radio a GPS source with the APRS droid map software and the cable that lets the source talk to the radio. The features of this software and on this device is that it allows the AFSK keying of the rig um, through the standard audio jacks on the top or oh, well, wherever it is on your device, on this in this case it's an Android, um, which allows that to be sent over RF as opposed to internet or data connections, just in case that's unavailable. So one of the keys to the functionality of this is the fact that this software can use AFSK <coughs> to send audio out of the microphone jack of the device via a simple cable to the radio. So once all put together you can have single shot or um, auto tracking or smart beaconing set up to relay your position via RF with this uh, simple setup. there is one caveat with the, uh, in this, uh, setup. I had to set the, um, preamble to the, uh, AFSK or the packet signal a little bit longer so that the radios, uh, transmitter basically can come up to, uh, speed, uh, before the Vox kicks in. So that's, uh, that's the only thing It's but I did drive around about a, uh, three to four five mile area and it did not miss one packet even on the lowest power settings to my uh eye gate that i set up RF. so
2: try doing that with iphone <laughs> you i don't think you'll do that no no, That's that's pretty cool, and cheap.
3: Definitely cheap, um, although the Androids aren't exactly cheap, nor the service, but I like the fact, uh, what qualified it as cheap for me was the fact that it could do the AFSK keying over the uh, audio jack, so that way I can send it to the Beofang, so it qualified, because the, the Android itself is usually not cheap, depending on how you acquired that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I guess it would be cheap if you already had it the rest of the stuff.
3: That that's kind of where I went with that, yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
3: Cool. yeah that, that was the
2: redeeming factor for it to fall into the cheap old man thing.
3: Right. Yeah. And of course all of the other software like the APRS um IS service and the the iGate itself was all free. Um mm-hmm. it's great ham radio is a great thing in that regard. Oh
0: yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Looked like a lot of fun, you know. I haven't done any uh, packet in years. I did build that little, was that TNC Pi mm-hmm. a year or two back, and play with it a little bit. But I guess APRS is pretty much the only game in town for packet anymore.
3: Well, you, you know the um, the other stuff. You know, it kind of brings me back to my old computer or uh, Commodore 64 and Amiga days with the modems and the bulletin boards. But those things are still around. You know, um, but the normal frequency for APRS is 144.39 in the states. But on 145.010, for instance, they'll have um, uh, bulletin board services, mailboxes, the uh, the TNCs that are still hanging around. And we use them in our income here for our parish in the state um, still to relay messages when all else fails. So. There's other stuff out there, and because APRS is using packet, it's the same thing. So if you have equipment to do one, you can do the other. Just change frequencies and software.
2: Yeah, yeah. there's nothing here on it. No, I, I looked back when. Yeah, it's it. it's it's completely dead here. It's, it's yeah. such a shame, too, because it's pretty cool stuff. And I, I think the APRS stuff is neat. I played around with it a little bit, but it's so underutilized. There's so many things that you could do with that, you know. Um, People use it just to report their position when they're traveling, but you could send use the messaging features and send out emergency messages to people in in the area, things like that, because it'll automatically be registered. Um, exactly, a lot um, of cool status. things that could be done, but I don't think anybody does that.
3: Right, status status messaging, um, telemetry. There's actually telemetry. Weather stations are using it over here, uh-huh. and uh, there's a host of services, like you said, messages and not just position in fact i think it was pretty much invented uh i think the guy's name is bob i forget the call to to let him know what other hams in the area were doing Mm -hmm. instead of actual position where they are is good but um you know he wanted to know what other hams were up to and doing in his area
0: peter is there any packet or um aprs activity down under
1: Uh, We've got an extensive packet network uh, across Australia or particularly across Eastern Australia, but the reality is that um, it's not used greatly. Uh, It's really only used for APRS, and so if you want to actually go have a look at that, go to APRS.fi, scroll down to, say, Melbourne, and you'll see what stations uh, there are. Typically, you might find a couple of cars going up, a couple of people have got weather stations set up, um, and uh, there might be one or two other stations that pop up. Uh, and you can also see all the uh, the digipeders as well. But there's not a lot of people using it, unfortunately.
0: Yeah. Well, Emil, that was a good topic. Glad you uh, brought it to us this month.
2: Yeah, it was
1: excellent. It,
0: you mentioned uh, the bulletin board a little earlier. You know, actually, I had considered earlier this week, uh, before I shot my segment, possibly, because uh, I've got a, an old... Uh, External modem sitting up there on the bench right now. I thought about hooking that thing up and doing a, a segment calling a dial-up BBS and just going through that. You think so, you'll find one? I, I found some. Really? Is, uh, not many. Wow. But, yeah, I found a list that showed there were uh, two, well, maybe three or four. There's a lot of them you can get to over telling that, but only a, a few dial-ups now. Oh, interesting. Yeah.
2: I actually ran across my modem the other day, too. Mm-hmm. Sorry.
3: Some someone in the chat room brought up a good point too. We we didn't mention it. The email, uh, the Winlink system is also available via APRS to send mail um, via that system as well. So there's a lot of things that are there. That Tommy's right. It's underutilized.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It really is. Well, Tommy, you've got an email over there. We haven't haven't heard one from you tonight. Yeah, let me uh, let me get my
2: glasses. I brought my fold-up glasses in my pocket here. So okay, okay.
0: It's, You're not gonna put them on. You're just gonna <laughs> leave them on the table. <laughs> so th-
2: this was from Mark KC1EKM. Says I know you enjoy ham flea markets. Well, if you're ever if you ever in Massachusetts, you should check out this place in Needham. It's called You Do It. It has everything you'd ever need from electronic components and kits to books and soldering stations. It's all electronics. I know you and George would love it.
0: Mark. Now, that is a nice-looking store. It
1: is. Mm. Man. It reminds it reminds me of our J-car stores here in Melbourne.
2: Oh, yeah? So if I ever get up to Massachusetts up there, are going to have to check it out. i got a trip to uh, Connecticut that should be coming up in the next, yeah.
0: maybe this year. What was the name of this place? You Do It. You Do It. Man, and I would. If I could go there, I guarantee you I would do something. Yeah, but, spend a bunch of money. Spend a bunch of money, yeah, I would do that. Get into HF this winter season. Whether you're just starting out, a ham on the go, or an operator wanting to upgrade your shack, ICOM has a radio for you. Looking for that practical rig to get you communicating on the HF bands? The IC718 combines DSP technology in a compact size. It's durable and great for casual HF operating, and it's got easy-to-use and other attractive features not found in other entry-level radios. Want a solid HF radio and a small footprint? Consider the rugged, water-resistant IC7200. It's perfect to take on your next RV adventure. Or, set it up as an emergency station for your MCOM group. The 7200 offers simplified operation and features for voice, CW, and digital modes. Searching for that high-performing radio for everyday use? Try the IC7410. Casual and season operators alike will love this HF radio. It builds upon ICOM's celebrated IC746 Pro. It includes faster DSP and built-in 15 kHz first IF filter, band scope, antenna tuner, and more. Does your shack need an update? How about the IC7100? You can use this mobile rig as a touchscreen base station. The separate operating controller is great for hams with limited shack space. You can even explore D-Star digital features, multiband, and all-mode operation. Make sure you visit icomamerica.com slash amateur for more information on ICOM's selection of HF radios. You know, this week I had to uh, go out to transmitter site and I still hadn't shot a segment for this episode of Amateur Logic and I was thinking, you know, I've got at least one good tip I could show there and maybe this would be a little interesting to watch and I think it turned out okay. So uh, come right along with me now as we go way out in the woods and find a transmitter site. Today I had to go to a transmitter site, do a little work, so I thought I'd take you along for the ride. Here's the tower we're going to. You can see up at the top there is the FM antenna for a non-disclosed radio station that we'll be visiting. That's a pole mounted on top of the tower, and the antenna bays are hanging off to the side. Just below our FM broadcast antenna is another FM broadcast antenna. And below that, yet another one. There are a few other antennas mounted on this tower. I know there's a crossband link out here. At one time there was a 6 meter repeater on this tower. And I believe a UHF repeater, but I'm not positive about that. The platform mounted on the tower there is for mounting two-way antennas. It rained here yesterday, and the road into the site is pretty muddy. It goes back through the hills here. You can see where it's kind of low down here. Going down this hill, I have got stuck about a month ago. But it uh, it goes about a half a mile back through the woods here over to the tower. We're going to try our best to get through here. We're in a four-wheel drive vehicle, but it's an Explorer, so it sits kind of low to the ground. And We're going to hope for the best. <laughs> down here yesterday, about the time that the rain was beginning, and you can tell my ruts have already been washed down. did some work on this road after I got stuck so it is in better shape now than it has been but you can maybe see that there's a rut starting to get back there. That was the worst part, so I think we're probably home free now. Yeah, let's stop here for a minute and take a look at the guy wires. And you might think it would take a pretty big guy anchor and wires to hold up a thousand foot tower. Well. Here's an example right here. The funny things hanging on the side of the guy wires there are dampers. Those help dampen any oscillations or galloping that occurs on the guy wires. And as you might expect, there is a little slack in these lines. That's normal. We might can get a look at the studio transmitter dishes. These are how the station gets the signal out to the transmitter site. And there's a little better look at the platform. And you can see a couple antennas above that. Here's the reason I'm out here today. The utility feed coming to the station here is through the woods. There's nothing else out here, so this is exclusively for this tower. As you can see there's tree limbs that come near those lines and those are eventually going to be a problem and they have here before so we need to keep our generator operational because we never know when we could have a power outage Last, we're at the transmitters. There's two buildings here occupied by two different companies. Some of you may be wondering just how big is a thousand foot tower? This one's pretty big. This is probably one of the best ones around. They're not all nearly this heavy, but a stainless makes a good tower. If you wondered what the view might look like standing up under one of these, there you go. The reason we came here today, though, was to change the battery on a generator. So, well, let's take a look at our little generator. This is a 130kW Generec generator that runs off propane. We've got a 1,000-gallon fuel tank over there, so we've got a pretty decent run time out of it. It's a pretty fair-sized engine in this thing, but When the battery won't turn it over and it can't crank, it doesn't do you a bit of good. I've only been taking care of this station for a few months, so I would have never let the battery terminals get in that shape right there. You can see they're fairly well corroded. I don't think they're causing a problem, however, they eventually will. The problem is the battery is from 2007, and it finally gave up. So we're going to swap that out today, and I'm going to show you... I'll do to prevent those from corroding in the future. The first thing we need to do though is clean up those battery terminals. Picked up a can of this battery cleaner from the local auto parts store. We'll use that and do the best we can then we'll finish up with a wire brush. Now we'll let that soak for a while then rinse it off and apply some more. One of the hazards of having your transmitter site way out in the woods like this is there's no water so We'll have to just use water in jugs. That did a pretty fair job. This stuff here is supposed to turn red whenever it's contacting acid, so this should help us see where we've still got a problem. When we pull that terminal off of there, we want to do it quick. We don't really want a bunch of sparking around there and possibly ignite some of the gases from the battery. Here's the main reason we're looking at this today. So I want to show you how to keep the corrosion off those battery terminals. Get you some grease, axle grease or just about any kind of thick grease. This says it's marine grease. You cover your battery terminals in that. Then when you put the cables on, you cover the connectors as well. Just layer it up on there good. What you're trying to do is keep air from getting to those terminals. And if it can't get air, it can't corrode. Yeah, it's going to catch dirt. And that'll have to be cleaned up in the future, but it won't catch corrosion. Okay, we've got a new battery in it now. Let's see if we did any good. One more try.
2: Was that your still that was there in the woods?
0: I tried not to have the still show up in the shot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, so that's how I spent my Friday.
2: Yeah. Somebody asked if that was going to be your next field day site. I was just kind of scoping it out myself. It looks like that porch. looks like a kind of a covered porch where that generator is.
0: It's not really big enough. That I mean, no, it's not really big enough. No. When
1: are you going to climb the tower and show us footage from the top of the tower, George? Um, <laughs>
2: yeah, that's a good probably, question. Probably never. Probably, probably never. never.
0: <laughs> uh-huh. Probably send my quadcopter up there and just tell you it's me. There you go. But you've uh,
1: got a quadcopter me. you could take it out there and uh show us what it's like.
0: I'm not taking
2: mine up near that transmitter tower. <laughs> it uh pr- override the uh wipe out the control signal going to it and lose it.
1: Uh, uh,
0: that yep. That is for a thousand foot tower, that's pretty heavy when there. Um stainless uh, they, they make a really good tower, and a lot of them are used for television stations, which have, or back in the VHF days, had really heavy antennas on top. Yeah. But uh, yeah. there's another station that Most I like do our- some work for that has a 1,000-foot tower, and it's only about a half really? the size of that one. You yeah.
2: had an elevator in that one?
0: No, don't have an elevator in either one of those. They generally only put those in towers that are going to be taller than that. Yeah. Uh, now, there's a 2,000-foot a tower where I used to have a transmitter site on years ago, not far from this. And uh, those are really monsters. Mm-hmm. Those, those are really huge, and they do have elevators. And I got a little shot of it on my drive-in. I didn't use it here, but it was actually in the clouds about the top. Huh. I would say 1,500-foot uh, of it was in the clouds, and you couldn't see it. And what were you saying, Peter?
1: Oh, I just had a couple of questions. First question is, how many kilowatt is the radio station?
0: Uh, it's uh, 100 kWERP.
1: Uh, good, good. That leads into my next, next question uh, and a bit of a history here. Uh, some time ago, I drive, drove up to uh, what we call, I think it's Telecom Tower up on top of uh, Black Mountain near uh, Canberra. It's a beautiful view, but it's got a big TV tower also built into it. Mm-hmm. And what I found was um, I couldn't start my car because the, uh, it just saturated the electronics in my car, all that, uh, all that power. So when you go up on the hill there, do you find that the the transmission coming out of the, the tower actually affects the electronics in your car? Uh,
0: not, not really. Um, you know, that, that antenna is 1,000 feet in the air. And you notice mm-hmm. those uh, little rings or bays of the antennas there, those kind of direct the signal out. To it's uh, uh-huh. a little bit further out. So straight up under the tower on on this one now, there's there's not a lot of RF. Now, uh,
1: interestingly enough, uh, they've actually got a sign up on uh, uh, Black Mountain, and, and it says, "Look, if you uh, if you find you can't start your car, go in and see the guards." And so I went in, and the guards gave me a like a metal um, windscreen uh, cover, and I said, "Take that out, put it over your car." and uh, see how you go didn't work for me but i was able to uh, uh, work out another way to actually get the car started so yeah it just shows you you can actually have your electronics in your car saturated if you're near a a tv tower
0: yeah but now that tower probably i think i saw that maybe that wasn't really that tall was it maybe a couple hundred feet or less
1: yeah, it's not. It's not so tall. It's. It's more. Um, I mean, they built a circular restaurant into it and a few other things, and then the. Uh, tre- uh, because it's already up so high, they didn't need to go up.
0: Well, I guess they could save money on the microwave. Just yeah, you know, by having a restaurant. Oh. Right
2: there, <laughs> food stays hot.
0: Yep. Well, Tommy, I think it's about time we be wrapping it up here. We had one other thing you wanted to. Mentioned, though, before we went, I noticed that uh, you, you mentioned something about our T-shirt shop here recently.
2: Yeah, we uh, we added some uh, Ham College swag in there as well. So also, I wanted to mention, uh, Kevin brought it up in there, and I read it. I don't know if uh, many of you know about it, but Ramsey Electronics is going out of business, I guess. Yeah. that uh, makes the little kits. I've bought several of those in the past.
0: Have you? I don't know that I've. The only thing I've ever built by them was a little um, linear amplifier kit that they had. And I think it was maybe on 20 meters. Oh, yeah. It worked for about 30 seconds.
2: Yeah, I had a few of them. I, I forget exactly which ones they were because it's been so long. I think I had a little FM transmitter kit mm-hmm. and a few other ones. But uh seems like things like that
0: are just kind of going away, you know,
2: by the wayside these days. It's kind of a shame.
0: Yeah, yeah, it is. I guess that's going to do it for us here tonight. Email, you got any uh, any last words to close out the January party? and wisdoms, yeah,
3: yeah. Uh, you, you know, um, the whole digital side of uh, ham radio is uh, opening up on many avenues, whether it's digital voice or the digital modes, HF, VHF, all of it, and uh, that's probably going to be a direction I'll be focusing on, um, especially on the. Uh, some of the 2.4 gig bands or higher bands um, in the future. So that's where I'm going, I think.
0: Cool. Yeah. yeah. We we could use a little more digital information. Yeah,
3: but, uh, we, you know, we need to try some of the
2: HFD star stuff sometime.
3: Yeah. You know, I, I just, I just saw where they have a, a net mm-hmm. where they uh, run the bands. Basically. Uh, I was listening to the 17 meters and 20 meters. So, yeah.
2: Yeah. They run that on the, reflector 30 charlie
3: yeah
2: I kind of coordinate it
0: from there
3: well, we'll have to see if we can hook up between us
0: well thanks for being with us again email uh we'll be looking forward to some more digital cheapness in the future
3: <laughs> all righty 73s guys thanks a lot uh, yeah good to have thanks. you on
0: again
1: cheers
0: bye yeah peter any last words from down under
1: I do have one tip before I go, and that is um, uh, you recall when I uh, did that segment where I went to Adelaide and tried to use my Xiaomi Redmi as a uh, camera but found that it was dropping frames and also that the audio wasn't really crash hot. Well, I found an app for Android called Google Camera. If you use that, you'll find that it'll fix both problems and uh, it'll also uh, give you a number of features like uh, the ability to do a photosphere it's a 360 degree panorama or panoramas as well it's a great app and i encourage people to check it out
2: yeah it's nice one thing it doesn't have it doesn't support 4k if you're
1: not yet but i'm sure it'll come
2: but it's a nice app yeah
0: cool i haven't looked at that i don't know is there a a google camera for the iphone negative negative okay Uh, (laughs) appreciate you being here uh Twenty sixteen looks like it's off to a good start and we'll have some more for you next month.
2: Yep. About the same time.
0: About the same time. Seventy three, everybody. All right. Seventy three. Yep. Seventy
3: threes. (laughs) Seventy threes.
0: Sounds interesting. One. I haven't heard of that one either. So, uh,
2: it is a ham show.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> As you can see, we have another problem.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Keep, uh,
0: uh, keep, keep that handy, email. And, uh, there's a picture that goes along with it. There is a picture that goes along with it, and you know what? I actually forgot. Well, if you
2: could see it, you would be really impressed.
0: You can say 73's email.
3: Not not when I'm muted, I can't. 73's. (laughs)